0: Jairus was a synagogue leader and uh, Jesus in part of his travels around the lake uh, here ran into Jairus. If you remember the story and here's where we'll be teaching, uh, Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac on one side of this lake, got in the boat, rode to the other, got out and the crowds met him in the middle of fierce crowds so much so that he couldn't even get his arms up. One of the Gospels says a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years comes up behind him, touches him, she's healed. But when that happens, we're in the context of a story where Jesus had met Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and here's what took place. Jairus had sent for Jesus because his little daughter was sick. Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house when the servants ran into Jesus and said, bother the teacher, no longer your daughter is dead. Jesus still told Jairus, Don't listen to them or ignore them and keep on believing. And we find that scripture in Mark chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus said, overhearing what was being spoken, told the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only keep on believing. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to keep on believing, even though all the odds are against you, to keep on believing, even though all the reports and everything else tells you it's not worth believing any longer. Get ready, it's going to be a great message.
1: All right, howdy folks, glad that you are here call into our meeting all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock. Um, which one am I missing? Lakewood, those that are live streaming, those that will listen later on. Last week I alluded to this idea that if you're listening on a
0: beach right now, we hate you. Um, I've got a buddy literally... who who lives here, but he works in Florida, and he goes back and forth every week, and he listens to the message while walking along Clearwater Beach. What What a place to listen to the message, huh? And I hate him. So anyway, that's what we thought we would say. In just a moment,
1: we'll jump into this story on Jairus, but I want you to do me a favor. On your seat, you should have found this card right here. We were careful to put them out there. At all of our campuses, you will find this, so please Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lone Tree. Grab these real quick, look at it. I want to talk to you um, about something that's really important, that's something that's going on here. And we're connecting the idea to, um, to believe. It's a theme for 2013, and it's going to encompass several things, not just a series right now, but really a theme, an overarching idea all year long that we want to talk about. Um, this morning, early this morning, it was 5 degrees at 7.30. And I had a meeting where once a month I teach a group of pastors. And it's just, here's what I do. I just take the last 26 years in ministry and I talk to them um, just about some of my experiences in ministry. And for 2013, what I decided to do was to go back to where we were at 15 years ago when we started the church, and I began to talk about foundational truths that I was teaching at that time, things that made Jubilee what it is and why it is what it is. Some, some of those things, listen, as the church got bigger and we added people and ministries were added onto it, some of those things uh, can tend to, to um to not be heard as much, but this is the truth of the matter. What we founded this church on is what we maintain it on today. And so even 15 years later, let me tell you a truth that's very important. Early on when we started the church and God began to give us increase, the word of the Lord to me was simply this. He told me, John, your job first and foremost with the growth and with the vision that I've given you is to lay track so that I can continue to do what I want to do inside of the church. And if the leader isn't preparing for the future and the leader is not allowing God to be able to keep do, how about this? We can pray for God to bless us, but if we are not prepared for that, how can God do it? Does that make sense? So my job is to say, how do we prepare as a group of people for what God is doing in our church? And for the last two years, there's been an issue here that I just simply have prayed about it, looked at it uh, in a way. I don't want to say that I ignored it, but I waited and I waited on the Lord. And we felt like God uh, has told us now is the time. And so here's simply what it is. At this campus here in Lone Tree and at our Highlands Ranch campus. We are completely out of space in our children's department. In our nurseries, in our children's church, we are out of space. So there's only two answers to it. Build a new building for about 10 to 15 million dollars. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Or look at what we have right here and how do we make best use of the properties that we have right now so that we don't put ourselves in that kind of debt with that kind of pressure and keep ourselves from opening campuses. Above everything else that God told me when I started this church, here was the initial, original vision. We are a church planting organization. We plant churches so so that the maximum number of people can taste the bread of life. And our idea behind that is that we never intended on being a mega church. From the very beginning, we said no matter how big a campus gets, we're going to intentionally keep the building small and then break off and plant other churches over and over again. And that's what we have done. So, in order to accommodate what God is doing on these two campuses in particular, we're asking ourselves, how do we make best use of the facilities that we have? How do we respond to what God is doing without taking our church into debt that just is is so difficult and will hinder us from being able to start other campuses? So, here's what we felt like God has given to us. Uh, The offices downstairs we are going to completely gut, do away with, give them over to children's space. It's going to allow us to increase our children's department by 50%. We'll be able to, without having to go into any type of a construction issue, without having to try to find property and start into a great big thing, we can do this and fit without adding one service, by the way, we can increase our capacity by 50% in our children's ministry. Now, why that's important to you, I've got pastors right now doing four services on a weekend. Imagine coming to them saying, hey, we need to have a fifth or a sixth or a seventh service in order to accommodate uh, what God is doing with our children. And how about this? It's not an answer to tell people there's no room for you at a church. That's never how we want to respond to it. So with what we have going on in our children's department, we'll show you more about this. We think that the best way to respond to it is to do away with the offices, give it to children's space. So we also looked at Highlands Ranch. Highlands Ranch is facing the same dilemma, only they've got a little more pressure in that Highlands Ranch is actually losing some families right now because they can't accommodate the number of children that are coming in. And here's the truth. No matter how much a parent likes what we're doing up here, if their children are not being able to be ministered to downstairs, you recognize parents are not going to put up with it. They're, they're just going to say we have to go someplace where our kids can be ministered to too. Well, folks, we want to be able to respond to that. So the same thing. We're going to do away with office space in the Kirk facility. And then we had a, a, a God factor. The guy that owns the building at Highlands Ranch came to us out of the blue. And this is what he said to us. Do you know you're paying too much money? <laughs> so we like it. So, yeah, I'm like, wait. Say it again, what was, what, the guy said, hey, you're, you're," and we had signed a lease there at the height of real estate, and how many of you recognize there's been a downturn in real estate? So the guy buys the building, and this is what he says, if you'll redo your lease, we will double your square footage for the same price that you're paying per square foot, Um, um, I'm sorry, for, we'll double your square footage for what you're paying right now. So we get double the square footage at the ongoing rate that we're paying. It was was a God factor for us, allowing us to then expand the sanctuary there, expand children's church, expand nurseries, and we're going to build a small office complex inside of there to house all the offices that we're giving up right now to be able to put it together. Here's what it's going to entail. We have done all of the work behind the scenes. We've already got the architects involved. We've already got the plans put together. We're ready to move on it. Total cost to do everything that we want to do for our children, it's $1.2 million. Now, what that includes, it's also a refurbishment of this sanctuary, of doing our uh, foyer out there. How many of you recognize, if you come on a Sunday in particular, like last weekend, we set an attendance record. 3,500 people were in attendance just on the weekend. That's not anybody listening or participating someplace else. You recognize how crowded it is out there. Well, we, we've got some ways that we can reconfigure what we're doing. It allows us to do some updating things that are sorely needed to be done at both campuses. And we could do it for $1,200,000. Now, here's the deal. For church our size, that's not even 20% of our budget, to be honest with you. We have folks in our church who could write that check tonight if you wanted to. Before, when I raised money, I used to say this if you're able to do that, don't do it because we want it to be a shared experience amongst all our people. This time, I'm not saying that. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. We want to do this as fast as we can. We would actually still like to plant a campus this year if it's at all possible. I still need to get to Parker. Every time I try to go there, God gives me another building to go to, but I still want to go to Parker. I still want to go up by Southlands and plant that church out there. So our hope is that we could do this project while not having to hinder the vision of planting another church in the meantime. Does that make any sense? So here's what I want you to do. Here's how we're going to do this. It's the most simple way that I know. It's the most upfront way that I know. It's it's just, it's the way that God has always allowed us to do it. On the card, you'll see there's a place for your name, telephone number, email. And then it asks for these three things to make a commitment to. It asks for a commitment to prayer. It asks for a commitment to a one-time gift. And it asks for a monthly gift. Okay, what do we need? Yes to all three. Yes to all three. We need everyone to be praying about this. We need one-time gifts because it allows us to get into the construction process and work on this immediately, and then we need people who can give monthly to it so that we can pay this thing off. We don't want to go in debt to do it. Do you agree with that statement? We don't want to go in debt to do it. It's a million two. It can be done literally, I know for a fact, it could be done in 30 days if people jumped into this with me and got involved in it. Other two campuses that are hearing it, Castle Rock and Lakewood, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're saying to yourselves, okay, why should we be involved? Because this campus planted your campus. (laughs) And everything that you enjoy right now came from this campus. And what we're trying to do are plant other campuses so that when this one is taken care of, it allows it to continue the process of doing it. Plus, all pastors will be able to collaborate with each other collaborate with departments and scale down how many people we have to hire by relocating all offices into one thing. So we need you just to consider what would God have you do with this? If you want to do it online, you would just simply go to our website, jfc.org and on there, they've already set up a direct link where you could give right online. Just go to the front page. It'll be right there. Here's what I want you to do. It's the only thing that I want you to do. Take it with you. Pray about it. Willing to do that? you willing just to pray about it. Whatever God tells you to do, that's what you do. If he gives you a figure, do that. If you don't hear anything, you don't have to do anything. Is that fair? And I'll make one last promise. This is how we've always done it at this church when it comes to money. Everything that we raise for this will go exactly as I told you it will go. If I don't do it exactly the way I'm saying I will do it, tell me you want your money back, and I'll give you your money back. How many preachers ever say that? <laughs> Don't, don't faint on me right now hold on I will give you your money back if I don't do exactly what I'm telling you I'll do with it I'll give you your money back that's how we've done it through every billing program we've had it's how people know that you can be trusted and I'm telling you the truth on that issue right there if you don't think we did what I said we would do with it or did it the way that I said you tell me I'll give you your money back but otherwise than that folks you know this is something it needs to be addressed and it allows us to keep doing the ministry that God has called us to do now one last caveat to it Um, I always, when I stand up here, I always make that statement about building a big building. I don't know that we won't ever do that. There may be some time that God does call us to have to do that. In my mind, it may be the last thing that I do as pastor of this church. It may be the legacy that I leave behind. I won't do it for the next several years. But let's say at some point it would be necessary to do something like that to house all the ministries together or to take care of all the churches that are planted. Perhaps that is something that God would have us do at some point. So I want to leave that door open, but that's not what this is. This is the simplicity of of you cannot get a better bang for your buck with what I'm doing than to do this project right here. And it's a doable deal. So please pray about it. If you're sitting there right now just going, I was praying this week, where could I give $1.2 million? Here it is. This is this. If you're like, is that God? Yes. Yes, it was God talking to you. So take it, consider it, do whatever God tells you to do. Two weeks from this weekend, we want to get these back. Two weeks from this weekend. So take it, pray about it for the next two weeks. Whatever God tells you to do, that's what we do. And we'll announce to you what the totals are. We'll announce to you how much came in, how much is given, what the ongoing total is. Is that fair? Okay. Any questions that you have about that, here's what you could do. Email me at dan at and we will get back to you with any questions that you have on that. All right. Grab your notes, if you will. Uh, all campuses, let's jump into this and uh, uh, go after it. We are in the second week on a series that we just started called Believe. Now, I don't know, how many of you, um, how many of you read the newspaper? Three people read the newspaper? Uh, that's, that's a little... How many of you know how to read? Okay, yes, there, there, okay. I picked up, we we started our series on Believe last weekend. Monday the 7th, I pick up the newspaper. Inside, front page, page two. Half page picture, Justin Bieber was at the Pepsi Center. Guess what the name of Justin Bieber's tour is? Believe. Justin Bieber is part of JFC. I just wanted you to know right up front. There. You may never see him, but he's in. I can tell right now he listens online. So welcome, Justin, to our church. You could pay for this building program. Okay, here's, here's. all of my staff was like, "I, what are you going to do with this Justin Bieber thing? I said, it's just a funny thing, and you'll hear about it right there. Mark chapter 5. 35 and 36 will be the text that we use for this weekend. Uh, We used it right up here in our intro coming into the message. I was sitting on the Sea of Galilee and we were talking uh, about Mark 4, 5, and 6 and the miracles that took place. Now what we're doing is we're actually starting in Mark chapter 6 and we're working our way backwards and we'll end up with Jesus and the demoniac, but we're starting with Jairus and what happened with Jairus' daughter. Now, in context, very quickly, as I said on the video, Jesus is in a boat on one side of the lake. He handles the man who is demon-possessed. He gets in the boat. He comes to the other side. The crowds meet him on the other side. When he gets out of the boat, one of the Gospels uh, took notes that give us this indication, that the crowds around Jesus were so thick that he couldn't raise his arms. Can you imagine being pressed like that? How many people are demanding of you? And it was during that time that a woman with an issue of internal bleeding, the Bible says for 12 years, she suffered at the hands of many physicians only to not get better. She tells herself, if I could only touch Jesus, I'll be made well. She presses her way through that crowd. She touches the hem of his garment. We don't know exactly where, whether it was a sleeve, whether it was at the bottom. But this is what the Bible says. Jesus perceived healing left his body. And this is interesting. At some point and at some times in the gospel, it is Jesus who intentionally does the healing. It's not dependent on the other person's faith. But then we also read times where a person can activate healing and Jesus wasn't looking to do it. Does that make sense? It's an amazing analogy here, because here's what Christ does. He asks the question, the Bible says he perceives power, leaves his body, and he asks the question, who touched me? And the disciples, uh, they answer, if you ever go back and study, they answer him in sort of a, a flippant way. What do you mean who touched you? Like everybody's touching you. Jesus ignores what they said, and he begins to look around the crowd for who it was, and his eyes lock onto the woman who was healed. The Bible says that she fell before Christ trembling. And the Lord told her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, in the context of those powerful stories, the demoniac and then this woman being healed, the context is when Jesus got out of the boat, the synagogue ruler, this is a well-to-do man, a respected man in the community. And in fact, there was a picture of a synagogue. It's called the White Synagogue. That synagogue is in Capernaum. It's right past uh, where, where the fish and the loaves took place, right past where, where the, the, the Mount of Beatitudes is at. It's all very close to each other right there. And it's really interesting in that that synagogue is an actual place that Jesus would have been at. And some people think that the synagogue ruler, that was his synagogue. They don't know that for a fact, but they think that that was his synagogue because it took uh, place very close together. So that, so that when Jesus gets out of the boat, the synagogue ruler had come to Christ. His daughter is sick. And apparently, it, it's, it's not just a, a little sickness. It's a sickness that could result in death. So he comes to Jesus because he recognizes Christ has the power over this. So he comes to Jesus and he tells Jesus, would you follow me to my house? And it's while Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house that the woman touches him. After that happens, Jesus walks a little bit further. And then we picked up the story, the servants of Jairus... Come to him and say, bother the teacher no more. Your daughter has died. And it's at that point that we pick up the story right here. And it's really powerful in its wording. And I'll read it to you from the NIV. Jesus was still speaking. Some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Quote, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Here's how Jesus then interpreted that and answered that, ignoring what they said. Say those four words with me. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. All right, quickly, quickly, let me just give you a couple of thoughts on this passage that I find interesting. Number one, the ability to ignore what people say is absolutely necessary to do anything with faith. I I heard it said this way, that there are two reports and you get to decide which one you want to believe. That's actually an Old Testament issue where God himself challenges Israel on that. Whose report will you believe? How many of you recognize the world always has their report? Anything, a long time ago, I realized when, when I had the vision to start the church, I felt like everyone, I was so excited. I felt like everyone I share this with will be as excited about it as I am. And I learned very quickly, not many people are really excited about what you're excited about. Most people are critics. Most people tell you why you can't rather than why you can. And then after you do it, they say, I always knew you could. <laughs> but it doesn't help during the time, does it? It doesn't make any sense before. So that here, here's, here's an analogy maybe to remember. That when you share things with people, there are two types. There are people who build up and there are people who blow up. You want to share your dreams. You want to share your hopes. You want to share your vision. You want to share the words of God with people who build up. People who encourage. People who speak to you, yes, God can do things like that. Or I know of times where God has done things like that for me. Or I believe God talked to you. That's an important issue. As opposed to people who automatically tell you, God doesn't move that way. Why would God do something like that? Or how about this? I've been praying for 20 years and God's never helped me. How does that help? And in fact, yes or no, when people do that, it steals your faith from you. Do you agree with that statement? That people come alongside of us and literally your role in coming alongside someone can determine whether or not they ever walk out the will of God in their life based on what you say to them. You can so ha- faith. Absolutely. Uh, 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 a, a, a key to faith taking place in your life is having somebody who believes in what God said about you. Parents should hear that. A part of your key as a parent, help your child understand what God has said about them. Even if you're not sure, here's what you should do. I don't know, but let's pray about it and ask God. At least have the belief that God does have something good. As opposed to saying, I just don't think God moves that way or I, maybe God's too busy. I mean, things like that, they steal faith. They don't increase faith. Do you agree with that statement? It's simple. I recognize that. But gosh, it's important. And if you, if you were to go home even this week and begin to look in your life, the people that are in your life, how many people build up versus how many people blow up what God has given you. I'm telling you, I, I heard a guy teach recently and he was right on. This is what he said. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So what, what is being said about that? It's being said that the people closest to you, if they don't love God, They're going to take you down a direction. If they're not people of faith, it's going to be difficult for you to be a person of faith. And if they are, it makes it easier for you to be a person of faith. Okay, second thought about the scripture that I thought was interesting when I was studying, the difference between fear and belief. Fear and belief. Okay, I heard... A, a person teach, and, and maybe at one of our campuses, you, you've heard this before, uh, it, it's, a, it's an older teaching. But I heard a guy say that, that um, the opposite of belief is fear. Okay, now, now that, that, in a way, it's semantics. Let me give you my take on it. I don't think that the opposite of faith is fear. I think that fear is belief in the wrong thing. Wow. Did you hear that? I don't think that the opposite of faith is fear. I think that fear is the belief in the wrong thing. I think it's looking at a situation. It, here, here's how I would describe it. If it causes you fear, it could well be true, but God doesn't go by what the world says. He goes by what He says. So it goes back to the two-report issue. So it may be a deal. You look at it, and it causes you fear, but you've believed in the wrong thing. Make sense? So, so just just... I think you look at the story, here's Jairus, how about this? Maybe the greatest test of faith, boy, I could say this as a parent, see if you could agree with this, maybe the greatest test of our faith comes with our children at times. The need to believe that everything, that when we raise them, that that is not for nothing. That there is a seed planted in there that God, even when all when everything else says the opposite of it, right. huh? Yes. That you know that you know that God is faithful to that. So instead of going with the fear thing, go with the belief thing, yeah. even in the face of everything says the opposite. Is that not faith? Yes. I mean, if you believe because everything's perfect, that's. Easy. I, I I mean, my statement is this: Look, if we thank God after the fact, that's gratitude. But when we thank Him ahead of time, that's faith. Before the proof is even there, that's, that's faith. All right, let's, let's do this. Last week, I left with the idea I would teach five, five things that are catalysts to the development of faith. Five things that help you ignore another report. Five things that help you to, to put faith in the right thing rather than the wrong thing. So let me, let me just give this, I put it down as a sentence. What fuels the development of faith? So if you've got a pen, I know it's in your notes. You may want to write a few things down here. I think they might be, might be pivotal to you. F- uh, five catalysts to help create faith. All five of these things. Here's the deal. The longer you've walked with Christ, the more you'll know what I'm saying is true. And the less you've walked with Christ, some of what I'm saying you have to take by faith. Do you get that? Sometimes I wonder, do they mute me? But I'm, I'm agreeing with myself, but I'm not sure if anybody else is. Right? right, five catalysts to help create faith. See if these are not true. The first one, pivotal circumstances. In Romans 8, 28, it's a simple scripture, and here's what it says. All things, say that, say that with me. All things. No, no, not the, just, just the first two words. Don't get ahead of me. All things, so just stop, let's do our demonstration. If I were to ask a Bible scholar how much all things are, what would be our answer? I mean, does all things include everything? So all things means, how about this, all things are both good and bad things. Yes? Do you agree with that? Okay, so Romans eight twenty says, all things work together for good to them that know and love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. There's a caveat to all things working together for good, to them that know and love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. How many of you love God? Yes. If you love Him, yes. you're called. Yes. It's as simple as it is. Okay, if that's the caveat, then all things can work together for good, including negative things. Because let let me just explain this and see if I can put it together for you. Five catalysts that help create faith in you. What is it that causes us to grow? I said last week, most of the teaching that, that we have received has been teaching that's increased our knowledge. Where in reality, the teaching that we need is not just teaching that increases knowledge. We should get teaching that increases our faith. Because you can be smart without faith. You can have a lot of brain power without faith and here's what happens with that. You know the word but you don't apply it in your life and therefore it serves to harden your heart never activate the miraculous. You become a critic, you become a know-it-all. You become very convinced that you you become very convinced that you can put God in your box and you know exactly what God's going to do and the truth of the matter is God's not in the box, you're in the box. And the deeper you go in the box, the farther away from God you'll get. To where you begin to make statements that God can't do things like that. Let, let me give you, for instance, Mary. The Holy Spirit shows up and impregnates Mary. There, is there any other way to say that? How many of you would have included, God moves this way in your box? Yep. <laughs> for sure. yeah. No, be honest with you. I mean, how many of you would say, God, I mean, that's not, normally, every, every, every Sadducee and Pharisee that heard that, thought what they were hearing was sacrilege. God doesn't do things like that. And yet, prophetically, God said he would do things like that. He did do that. And it tends at times, God is so big, we we think we figure him out. We put him in the box of how he moves. So in certain relationships or certain activities or circumstances, we go, God God could never use that. God, God can use anything. In fact, God specializes in taking the things that the devil does in order to trump him so that we win. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So let me go this way. Um, I put down as an example, I got a letter this last week. My, my birthday was a little more than a week ago. And, and the older your children get, the less they spend on you for presents. <laughs> Some of you won't even laugh right now. You're just like, that's, that's, that's such... The older your children get, the less they spend on you for a present. But they do write you nicer letters. (laughs) They do. They write you more meaningful things. So, one of my sons, I have three, so it doesn't matter which one, one of the three sat down and wrote me a letter. And he wrote in the letter, he remembered every pivotal circumstance in his life where I was there for him. He recounted details that I had forgotten. It was a long letter. I was not prepared for the letter. I read the letter and I wept in the letter. I couldn't even read in front of him because I couldn't get the words out as I was trying to read. I had to go by myself to compose myself to be able to talk to him about it. And he recounted to me things that I had forgotten about but things that he didn't forget about. Some of them were very difficult things. And he, here's what he recounted to me. He said, this happened to me and you were there and this is what you said to me. And what I said to him put faith in his heart. I remember one of the things was a very difficult, he had suffered something catastrophic in his life. And he had he had had gotten to the place it broke him. And he said, he said, the only one who knows is you. He said, you were the only one who was there. He said, I shared that with you. And he thanked me for it. And the place that he's at right now, let me just throw this out to you. It was such a catastrophic event at the time that I thought to myself, this how could God ever use? This is just the devil. The devil's gone crazy in our family. And yet here's the truth of the matter. That very event is the thing that God has used. Years later, God used that to make my son so strong. And he sees that event as a pivotal time in his life where he grew closer to God, not away from God. But let me make this statement. Here's the problem with pivotal circumstances for people. They can serve to make you stronger in your faith or they can serve to weaken your faith. Yes. Do you agree with that statement? Okay, I, here, here's my cliche. I've said this several times. Listen to this statement. Disappointment is the mother of bad theology. Where does the disappointment come from? Circumstances where it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, where it was hurtful, Where you were done wrong, you were betrayed, where it didn't work out the right way. And in those circumstances, right there, if God can use all things, even in those circumstances, what you do with that anger and that pain and that hurt is absolutely critical as to whether or not you grow in faith or you grow away from faith. Does this make any sense? So, what does God invite us to do in our circumstances? In all things, we give thanks. In our time of need, we go to the throne room. God invites us in pivotal circumstances never to go off in our own mind by ourselves and try to figure it out. He invites us to come and reason with him and give it to him and allow him the opportunity to comfort, even if he doesn't explain why. He still allows it to be a faith-building time in our life where we can grow closer to This is why my joke is God can win with a pair of twos. Whatever the devil does, God can beat him. What he intends for evil, God can still use for good, but you've got to cooperate with the process in that you can't go off into yourself with the process and then judge God or connect all the dots back to God. You've got to give it to God and trust God. Does this make sense? That's so why I put down, then, look, if teaching, here, here's the deal. I, I wrote it this way in my notes. See if this, if this makes any sense to you. People are far more interested in what works than in what's true. Now to follow, hey, don't ju- if you're new, don't judge me yet. Let me finish my sentence. Let me get my thought out. People are far more interested in what works than in what's true. So that when a person stands up to teach, if they think the end-all, be-all is just to teach truth, you make a critical mistake. What you need to teach is truth and how to apply truth so that it makes a difference in a person's life. If you just stand up and teach truth, you can actually be irrelevant. That is so that it has to be taught with understanding, application of these things become so important so that when we go through things, we should be teaching application. Here's what you do with it. Here's what God can do with it. All right, let me give you the second one. Providential relationships. Pivotal circumstances, providential relationships. Most of us have relationships in our lives where if you go back in your Christianity, if you go back in your walk with God, if you've got any length of a walk with God, go back in your life, I bet you At times in your life where you grew in your faith, it was because God put someone in your life who said, did, or you saw something that caused you to grow in him. Most of us don't recognize those relationships until we think about it. We tend not to have a culture of honor where we honor the people in our lives that God has put in there to help us. Here's the truth. God is a miraculous God who can do anything, and he limits his power to working through mankind. And the only time he overrides that is when he does a miracle. And my question to you is, how many miracles does God do in a day versus how many times does God use a person to come to us to help us in our journey? He sends people who are absolutely crucial. So I put just some initials right here. G.H., my father-in-law. I grew up with, with three dads. None of them were great examples. My statement is, you can't give what you don't have. It was not until I had children that I realized I didn't know how to be a dad. God gave my father-in-law to me. What a, what, a, what a pivotal relationship that was. And I know there are some father-in-laws out there who stink. I got a good one. I got one who put his arm around me and treated me like a son. And even till this day has been a pivotal person who caused me to grow spiritually as well as, as a husband and a father. I put next to that, TH, Terry Hilders. Terry's a guy that works for me, but once upon a time, if you know the story, Terry was my youth pastor. And I went to Terry and I said, man, I think I'm supposed to be in the ministry. And Terry was a key person in my life who said to me, I see it, no one else saw it. No one else saw it. I was disguised. I had my Rush World Tour t-shirt on. I had hair almost down to my waist. I enjoyed the things of the world. Enough said there. And I approached him and said, I think God's calling me into ministry. Somehow he could look through the disguise And could see underneath. And it was a pivotal thing when he said to me, I can see you in ministry. Now he works for me. And I bless him. He was one of the few people who believed in me. What a pivotal relationship that was. I just put down a couple of other ones in there that are not worth really going into. But here's what I would tell you. Providential relationships are things that cause you to grow in your faith. When I was sharing this with my teaching team this Tuesday... Every one of them said to me, you're that for us. You know what's cool? When you recognize those relationships in your life, once you recognize them and you begin to create a culture of, where you honor those people who God has sent into your life, here's what happens. God then uses you to do that for other people. But until you recognize it, God won't use you in another person's life. That was dang good that I just told you right there because some of you are just like oh, I don't know why I'm just, you know, nobody I'm, I'm. <laughs> honor them respect them I can think through my life these are, these are just a few but I can think of, of times where it was providential that someone brought a person into my life that spoke a word to me or I could see the activity of God in their life and it increased my faith does that make sense so even as a pastor, to be, passion is so important so that people are inspired. Do you know that the word inspiration means God breathed? Inspiration is God, it means, look at the dictionary, it means God breathed. When we say, I was inspired, here's what we're saying. God breathed through that thing that inspired me and it inspired my spirit. He breathed on me, he spoke to me. I can think of the people through my life. God, I am nowhere in my life without the people that God sent along to help me. Does anybody else get that? I'll give you the third thing. increases faith. Personal ministry. Now follow me on this one and see if it's not true. You can come and sit in a church for 20 years, listen to a message, take 10,000. You can buy every year the three ring binder that we sell. (laughs) Fill it with notes. Memorize everything that's said from the pulpit. But if you never do ministry yourself, you'll never grow spiritually. Did you hear that? Listening is not enough. You don't grow until you apply. You don't get it until you apply. I wrote it this way in my notes trying to, to, to get the idea. Teaching the word of God isn't about knowing stuff. It's about doing stuff. Do you agree with that? And look, go on a mission trip. Share with somebody about what God's done for you. Get involved in a small group. We do these goofy things where Terry's standing in front of us. And we laugh, why would he do that? Because we're trying to do anything we can to get you to recognize, get involved in a ministry. Here's what will happen to you. You go to a church, no matter what church you go to, by the way, this church is not exempt from the statement. You come to this church and all you do is sit and listen. At some point, it will dawn on you, you'll go through a hard time is what will happen. No one will be there for you because you don't know anybody and you'll leave. I'm telling you how it happens. I remember, man, how much time do I have? Six minutes. Six minutes. how can this be? <laughs> Early on in the church, I had two couples, roughly at the same place, same age, same economic, socio place in life, and they both ran into trouble in their marriage. One couple who was not in relationship with anybody. Here's, God is my witness, here's what happened. I don't see them for several weeks. Weeks begin to turn into months. We try to get all of them, can't find them because they're not connected, there's no way to know. Six, seven months go by, and the woman shows back up, and she's with another guy. And so, me being me, I go, hey, where's your husband at? She goes, well, he's right here. No, I said, not that one. (laughs) The other one that you used to come with. What happened to him? What went on? She said, oh, we divorced. I'm nutshelling this, but this is what happened. We found out about it after the fact. The exact same time, I have another couple go through marriage trouble. They're completely, they're in a small group. They're involved in the church. People know them. And this is what was said to them. I I remember the words exactly. We won't let you divorce. And we had to work hard. And it took a lot of counseling. And it took a lot of involvement and a lot of commitment. And that's not this. It didn't solve it by saying that. It took a lot but their marriage is still together today. So what's the difference there? I'm going to submit to you that in my mind, the most simple difference, their problems were roughly the same. They roughly were going through the same thing. What was the difference? In this particular case, what made a huge difference is that there were people there, that were, they, were, they were anchor lines, mooring lines that didn't allow them to drift off. Do you hear me? The Bible says to pay careful attention so that you don't drift. When you drift, you, you know, you don't end up in faraway places from the Lord overnight. You drift slowly over time, and you drift because no one knows you're doing it. Does that make sense? So become a greeter. Greet, Stand at the door and just greet people. All of this is for your, you think it's for our good. You think I'm doing this for me, don't you, right now? You think you're saying this because you're... This is for you. This is for... It's a place to do ministry. Give money towards situations. This is all for you. I promise you it's for you. I'm not making it up. If you sing, then get involved in worship. If you don't sing, don't get involved in worship. (laughs) If you, if you like children, get involved in children's ministry. If you don't like children, please don't get involved in children. But find your place. Find your place. You've got to find your place. Hey, anybody agree with me? Any pastor know what I'm saying to be true. It is the difference. Get involved in a small group. Bob, Pastor Bob, spends so much time of his pastoring week working on small group stuff. How wonderful would it be for all of our people to get the idea, they're not trying to jam me in a small group because they want more of my time. We want you in a small group because we want you to grow spiritually. Yes. We want to pastor you. We want to help you. So people walk in and think, there's the pastor. If I have a problem, I'll call him. It won't work that way. One of the best pastors in our church. Happens to come to this campus. His name's McCoy. Oh, man, they're great pastors. Get involved in their group. They'll love you. You you won't have any choice but to be loved. Work in the parking lot. I'm serious. I was driving out of here last Weekend, the guy working with the batons out in the parking lot. You ever seen him on Sunday? He's got all those batons. Looks like he's got nunchucks out there. He's just going all over the place. I thought he recognized me, so I came driving up real fast at him, and he didn't know it was me. And he almost threw the baton at. It was a bad. It was a bad deal. And I apologize to him multiple times. I thought, this poor guy is standing out here in the cold, working the cars, and the jerk pastor comes and messes him up. <laughs> His name is Alan Tuckfeld. He's one of the greatest servants our church has, and I'm out there messing with him. Alan, I love you, and I'm so sorry that you don't have a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> come on, I am teasing four. I got I to hurry. Private disciplines. You will grow in your faith. It's a catalyst for faith. You grow in your, you grow in your faith the day you begin reading your Bible, yes or no?
0: Yes.
1: Here's two ways to say it. You don't grow until you read or the day you start reading you grow. Some people are motivated by the negative, so I say it that way. I'm motivated by the positive. Read and you'll grow. How about this? When you pray, you grow. How about this? When God speaks to you for the first time when you're reading the Bible, it causes faith to explode in your heart. When God answers your prayer, a specific prayer that you were praying, it causes faith to explode in your heart. Does this make sense? So that the spiritual disciplines, I don't have time to even develop this, but the spiritual disciplines are things that cause us to grow. Here's what we should do. We should make it as easy as possible for people in our church to read the Bible so that we put the notes up behind us, we provide that we spend all the money to make it as easy as possible for you to read the Bible. give you the last one. Practical teaching. Practical teaching. When teaching is done in a way, here's how it was said in Jesus' day. When Jesus taught the Beatitudes, when he got done with it, the observation was made, the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority over the law rather than a teacher of the law. What's the difference between the two? I say the difference between the two is the application that Christ taught with the word. How about about Jesus saying this? Those who hear my words and apply them are like wise stewards who built their house on the rock. And when the wind and the rains came, the house stood. As opposed to those who hear my word and never apply them are like a person who builds their house on the sand foolishly, and when the wind and the rains, both people suffer the storm. Serving Jesus is not a force field to keep stuff from happening to you. Serving Jesus is the difference in whether you make it through the stuff that happens to you. How you come through the stuff that happens to you. Christ taught application in everything he taught. How about this? When I said to you that people, it's not truth, but whether it works that people are looking for. So the deal is to teach truth with application. How about this? The Beatitudes, Jesus starts every Beatitude with what word? Blessed. Blessed. In the Hebrew, the word blessed is ashre. It means this. Happy, fortunate, And to be envied are the people who, and then Jesus would say, yes or no. That's the application of people come to hear a word not because truth is the paradigm. They come because they are actually looking for how does this bless me? How does this help me grow? How does this change my life? And Jesus plays to that thing. Happy, fortunate, And to be envied are the people who... And then he fills in the blank with application. Blessed are the meek. Because that person inherits the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry. Because if you're hungry, I can fill you. Yes or no? That's practical application. People walked away from that amazed because Jesus is teaching not as a teacher of the law. Someone reciting... The Jews during that time would begin to memorize the scripture at four years old. And they start with Deuteronomy, and they could quote Deuteronomy. Imagine. These are people who knew the word inside and out, and yet that wasn't what did it. It was knowing how to apply the word that made the difference. I, I, that's, I, I don't know, maybe that just hits my issue, but... So I'll just close it with this. An addendum to measuring spiritual growth has always been here's what I've said. The way that we measure spiritual growth in a church, Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Does anybody remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like the first, Love your neighbor as yourself. So then, a way to measure spiritual growth would be to say, Are we growing in our love for God and our love for people? Agree with that? Yeah. Let me give you an addendum to it that God showed me this past two weeks. The other way to measure spiritual growth would be to measure whether or not you're growing in faith too. Because if you're growing in faith, then you're growing in trust towards God. Things are happening spiritually inside of you. You cannot have faith happen unless something's happening spiritually inside of you. that make any sense? Okay. I'm in deficit. Let me just, it's just past four. Let me give this. Five things you can do with this message. Five things you can do with this message. You can take your circumstances right now that you're going through and you can connect with God tonight. You can connect with God as you come to the altar. You can connect with God right now, right today, right this moment. You can connect with God with the circumstances you have going on. Whether they're good circumstances or bad circumstances, they can be pivotal things that God can use if you'll bring them to Him. God uses all things. Second, Recognize relationships in your life that are providential. Listen, some of you are praying. You have been praying for a long time for God to answer a prayer. And I want, I want to say this to you. Here's the clearest way I can say it. Until you can, until you can respect the vessel that God sends with the answer, you'll never hear the answer to your prayer. Do I need to say that again? I got no movement on that. Until you can respect the vessel that God is sending to you with the answer... You're not going to get your answer. God uses, I don't know why this is. God tends to use the vessel we reject the easiest to bring the most deep message to us. That one is worth spending some time over. I'm sorry to shortchange you on that one. Five things you can do. Personal ministry. You could join a small group tonight. You could go on a mission trip. Not tonight, but you could sign up, couldn't they? It could be this year you could be going. You could get involved in greeting. You could do parking lot. you. you there, over and over. There are so many places to serve. You could begin to pray tonight. You could read your Bible. You could journal. You could fast. Last but not least, practical teaching. You could take this message and apply it like it actually was preached from a person who believed everything they said to you. I believe every word I just said to you. Every word. So how do you know it works? At the very beginning of this message, I said, I'm looking back over 15 years and all that God has done. 15 years ago, I was writing in my journal. I wrote these words. I'm a pastor. I want to be a church planner. I'm a church planner. You know what I wrote? I did this exercise with with my all staff on Tuesday. I had them do the same thing. I am fill in the blank. I want to fill in the blank. It's just a simple little exercise. Give this year to God. Ask him what he wants. Here's what I wrote. I'm a church planner. I want to lead a movement. I'd love to plant 100 churches and lead that. I'd love to start 500 parachurch ministries and have them all connected to our church. Does that make any sense? Apply this tonight. Ask God. Engage with Him right now. We leave the whole auditorium open for engagement. Use the altar. If you need to, bring your circumstances. God invites you to the throne room. Act like it's literal. Use this as the beginning of the throne room of God. Come and bring your stuff, your circumstances to God and engage with Him. Quit running away from Him. Quit getting into your own mind. Bring it to Him and reason with Him. Use communion. Use prayer. Worship. All of them are effective means to take this message and apply it to my... I I say to you, the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin to talk about the miraculous... And seeing the miraculous happen. Healing. We're going we're gonna to talk about God doing a lot of how he defeats the enemy in our life. There's, all those things are necessary. Here's what I say to you. Foundationally, this is what's true, though. Unless there's belief and unless there's application of belief, I could teach all the miracles of God. It'll just it'll serve to make you smarter without ever moving you into the miraculous. Teaching that only gives information but leaves out application is only half True. I've said enough. That's it. Okay, all of our worship leaders at all of our campuses come. Make your way up to the front. All of our campus pastors, you're free at this point to close your service any way that you see necessary. I'm going to leave it open this way. Folks, I want you to engage with God. In particular, if there are circumstances, I felt like that was the one that God would just have me engage you over. If there are circumstances in your life, whether they be just awesome opportunities or difficult things. God wants you to bring them to him in order to maximize the opportunity that you have for all things to work together for good to them that know and love the Lord or according to his purpose. Use this time to do that. Use this time to engage God. Use this time to bring it to him and to say to him, God, here I am. I place these things in front of you, but I worship you above these things. I, I see you as over these things. I commit myself to you through these things. God, I don't want these things to diminish my faith. I want them to increase my faith. So I believe that may be the prayer. It may be the pivotal thing that changes it from going away from God, bringing you toward God. Bringing you toward God, huh? All right, so Lord, take that message. We ask that, God, right now, as our hearts are open to you, and we want to connect with you, that you would just make that easy for people to connect to you. God, remove out of the way everything. It's in the way. The Bible says that you've done that through the work of Christ. Right now, we believe. Folks, listen to me. We believe everything is removed out of the way so that we can connect with God right now. Sin is removed out of the way. Mistakes are removed out of the way. Circumstances are moved out of the way. Everything is removed out of the way so we can connect to God right now. God makes it easy. He wants to connect with you. Let's bring it to Him. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.